Let's talk about Medi-Cal. You have a choice, and Molina makes it easy, especially when it comes to the care you need. So let's talk about you, about making your life easier, about extra help to manage your health. Let's talk about your needs now and for the future. Nobody knows Medi-Cal better than Molina. It starts with a phone call. Call 866-420-5330 or visit meetmolinaca.com. Let's talk today. Live to see it, friends, and welcome to the world transformed. All this week, we're going to be talking on the topic of who wants to live forever, and we'll be talking with our good friend Thomas Fry. My name is Phil Bowermaster, and with me in the virtual studio is my co-host Stephen Gordon. Hello, Stephen. Hey, Phil. How are you? Well, I am super fantastic. Happy Tuesday. How are you, my friend? Man, I'm doing great. I, you, your promo of the show just now, it's got, uh, I've got stuck in my head now that Queen song, Who Wants to Live Forever, straight from Highlander, right? The, the movie that won the Academy Award for the best movie ever made. I, think <laughs> I love Highlander. Come on. Highlander. It's that's, <laughs> a, that's how Will Ferrell describes it in uh, the Ricky Bobby movie. Uh, oh, okay. Great. He, he, great. That, that's, you never heard of Highlander? Uh, yeah, won the Academy Award for the best movie ever made, I believe. <laughs> and that is the love theme from Highlander, Who Wants to Live Forever, so I'm glad you uh, picked up on that. But let's welcome our guest. Thomas Fry is the Executive Director and Senior Futurist at the Da Vinci Institute and an internationally renowned futurist and speaker. Thomas, it's great to have you with us. Yeah, thanks for having me on. You a big I'm, Highlander fan, I'm are you, Thomas? Watch- uh, yeah, except I've never watched any, but yeah. <laughs> That's the best way to be a Highlander fan, as a matter of fact. <laughs> oh, man, I feel like I'm the only one that wants to give it any love, I tell you. Uh, he's, he's mastered the, fan, the fandom of uh, Highlander, right? <laughs> so we're going we're, we're gonna to be working on a piece you put out on your newsletter, and it has been sitting on your website from about, I don't know, about six weeks ago. It was called... Is Death Our Only Option? Great great essay that you wrote there talking about the potential for making people live longer. And I want to point out a big news story from just the other day. The last known person born in the 19th century died. So that was, that, that was something I noted on Facebook. She was a woman, Japanese woman. She was uh, 117 years old, and she was the very last person who was born in the 19th century is now gone. And I, I put that on Facebook, and I said, well, now, how long will it be? What year will it be when the last person from the 20th century dies, right? I think it'll be beyond the year 2018, 2118, excuse me. So in your piece, you talk about the upside of that. You also talk a little bit about the downside. And I thought we'd spend some time tonight talking about some of those potential downsides. The first one on your list that you note is old system failures. So let's talk about that a little bit. What happens if people suddenly, if we develop the technology to make people live indefinitely, what happens to kind of the infrastructure of a world that isn't based on that happening? Yeah, it's, it's interesting because uh, in, in Japan, they're, they're actually working through a lot of the downside right now because the country of Japan actually has over 68,000 people over 100 years old. Um, it's a total anomaly. No other country has that percentage of, of old people. I mean, part of the problem is, is they, they actually sell more adult diapers than they do baby diapers over there. Wow. Um, yeah. But they have all kinds of uh, social issues 
Uh, one of them is is that they don't have a good social security system that goes on forever. And so a lot of the elderly, and it, it turns out a lot of elderly women, uh, end up going and committing crimes, so they'll end up getting thrown in jail so that they're taken care of there. And so this has become a, a real problem because the, the prisons in Japan have, have turned into nursing homes. And, and so that's a bit of a challenge for their, their system. Now, not every country has those, those same problems, but certainly if over half of the people in, in your country are over retirement age, uh, then you don't have anybody earning enough money to pay for all the costs of the retirement. That becomes a real challenging economic system that's out of whack. And in, then all kinds of things like uh, Social Security doesn't make any sense anymore and, and life insurance doesn't make any sense and and all of these um, oh, uh, 401k plans and all that are kind of go out the window because uh, nobody's thought them through for an aging society where people live to be 120 years old. Um, so it's, it's an in- interesting dilemma that we run into. And, you know, part of the problem there, I would think, is that those kinds of projections are based at least partly on the idea of extending life the way we're currently doing, which is simply to extend the period of decrepitude, right, at the end of life. You're just, you're, right. you, what we've managed exactly. to do is kind of draw out the degradation or the, the, the falling apart of the human body, which doesn't help much at all, does it? Yeah, so if, if people can work much longer, and, and that's one of the problems in the U.S. is that uh, none of the politicians want to delay the retirement age, and so uh, actually I think it needs to be indexed about one month every year uh, so that it, it starts moving into that uh, uncharted territory. If people are able to work much longer, then, uh, then, uh, then the systems aren't a problem. But you have to have the political will to do that. Well, something's going to give because, from what I understand, all these pensions are going to crash anyway, right? There's, we've got a big pension bubble going on. So I, I think we've got to push on with life extension so that people will be able to work. And also we're going to cut medical expenses tremendously by having people not, not age. I think that's, there's actually a pretty good economic argument for extending human life. But let's move on. Let's look at the second item, the messy transition. I really like this one because it's got a real kind of a creepy feel to it, right? What, so, so what happens if we cured aging tomorrow, right? Everyone would be pretty much locked in where they are. Is, is, that, is that the problem with the, with the transition? So on, on average, every day there's 151,600 people that die. Right. Uh, every single day. And, and so what do we do? We do, delay, delay it. Um, people aren't dying from old age. They're dying from all the symptoms of old age, and so it wouldn't instantly. If we if, if we instantly cured aging, I, I'm envisioning something that makes us feel a little bit better every day, not something that instantly cures all of the the problems that we have built up over time. And there's lots of different scenarios we can come up with for how this would get implemented. But I was I was thinking through this idea of well, what if it we had to take a, a pill every day to keep on living, and um, and the pill cost I don't know five dollars a day to take that pill, and we keep on living. And then if we suddenly decide to stop taking the pill, is that a form of suicide? Then, what are the societal norms then for 
those type of situations, it gets into really odd territory. Absolutely. Well, I like what you wrote about we may, may or may not be able to reverse aging. So we might have a world full of 20-year-olds, 20, 20 or you might have people kind of frozen in place where they are. Like, like if, if they really work it out, say, 30 years from now, and we, we get frozen in place, I'm going to be like 85 years old. You know, my son will be 36, right? Great age to be frozen in at, I would say. That's, that's, a, that's a perfect age to kind of, you know, you could do a century at that age, right? No, no problem whatsoever. Who wants to be 85 for, uh, for 100 years, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but can we revert some of this? I mean, that's what a lot of people are talking about. Can here, here's the thing. If, if, you, if you freeze somebody at 90 years of age, then you probably have not bought them all that much additional life. They're still going to be susceptible to, you know, some bad flu that rolls around, right? Right. Or, right. or whatever. They still got the same frailty. You've got to, you got to reverse aging, obviously, uh, for those people. But that, that's your whole point in your article, Thomas, is that it may, it may take some time. Perhaps we're able to. It's probably simplistic to say it this way, but it's, we can perhaps freeze you at your particular age, and then it may take some time to undo the damage of aging uh, with additional treatment. And right. in the meantime, you are you are frail and uh, and are at risk, right? Right. We lose our our sense of urgency. That's that's kind of an interesting twist because we have kind of built-in urgency in our lives because as we get older we have to we want to we want to accomplish something every time we turn like a 40 or 50 or a 60 we have an age crisis because we thought we would have accomplished more by that age right um, suddenly if we're living to two or three hundred years old then and suddenly the age crisis doesn't really have much meaning and then we always can put something off till tomorrow, till tomorrow, till tomorrow, till tomorrow. <laughs> right. Yeah, what, what happens when there's a seemingly indefinite number of tomorrows, right? Right. So the cost of procrastination goes down, right? It, become, it suddenly becomes a lot less expensive to procrastinate. And, and related to that, when you talk about a loss of innovation, because people will probably become more resistant to change. You, you see that as people live longer, they're probably going to be more risk-averse anyway. And you might see with an older population just a kind of a general, you know, we don't need all your new ideas, you young whippersnappers, right, kind of uh, approach, approach to the world. So when you combine those two things, you could be facing a little bit of stagnation. Well, yeah. And then the old population control issue starts cropping up because nobody's dying anymore. So, so let's, let's just put a limit on how many kids you can have over your 300-year lifespan. Uh, <laughs> right. Yeah. Maybe not more than one a century, right? Maybe, you know, you have one century or maybe only one per century per solar system, right? That would be the way to divide it up. Like, yeah, you have, to, you have to keep moving on, I suppose. To, yeah. You want to have more kids. Move out into space, then you can have more kids out there. Well, the other one that I thought was really interesting was this cluster around having the wealth controlled by the super old, having these family dynasties that exist as people live and live, the, the wealth gets concentrated in these old families, having these super entrenched political systems. And yeah. it, it seems to me that that's a real set of risks that people aren't even thinking about, that, that, that those dynamics are a very real possibility. Indeed, they are. I do, I do quite a bit of work for these groups called the Family Office, and this is a term that's used, well, sometimes in the Middle East, but sometimes in the United States when you have a wealthy family. So then you, you have kind of, you institutionalize the family's wealth, 
and then you have people who are managing it and controlling it and all that so that because the wealth becomes uh, a lot of work. So then as these become more sophisticated and the amount of wealth grows, not just the billionaires to trillionaires, over time then they can really control huge shifts in attitudes and the way the world works and industries and the political climate here and there. So lots of interesting shifts can happen as a result of just super, super wealthy individuals. It seems like to regulate that, if it did end up that way, that, that you would almost need something like a periodic reset, like the old uh, biblical, the year of Jubilee when all the debts get canceled. Just once every 150 years, you just, it's like, you're not the richest person in the world anymore, right? We're just going to, we're going <laughs> to, right? We're going to. We're going to level it out somehow or other. The, the other way that I can think of is that possibly in a future that has some of these other things we talk about frequently going on, such as post-scarcity, maybe having all the wealth won't mean as much, right? That it wouldn't be as, as big a deal that, that you reach a kind of an effective, you can only gain so much political power by having wealth when everyone is fairly well off to begin with. One place where these are covered very interesting, these issues are covered very interestingly. Have you ever read a book called Down and Out in the Magic Kingdom by Cory Doctorow? I have not read that one. I know about it, though. Yeah, he talks about the bitchin' society in that, and it's this kind of post-employment, post-scarcity, post-aging society. And one of the things that's interesting about that is, well, one of the things that's interesting is your, your transition issue is it doesn't matter because when, when you get somebody's age, it's always just their apparent age. It's a cosmetic thing, right? Everybody's over 100, so it really doesn't matter how old anybody is, right? You know, it's like, oh, he's apparent 37, she's apparent 63. People just kind of pick how old they're, they're going to look. But, but what was really interesting in his economy in that book was that it was all based on reputation. Although I would think that a powerful reputation would be something that could build up over time too. You know, it might not just be wealth that people are concentrating over time. It might be reputation. It might be data. There's, there's all kinds of possibilities for people who live a long time to become very powerful. Right. The runaway leader is a, a problem. Is a, you know, it seems like regardless of how you measure your wealth, it's going to be an issue, I would think. You know, those who are good at doing well are going to continue to do that, right? And those who aren't will be further and further behind. So, yeah. In the years ahead, we're going to be turning into a much more mobile, much more fluid society. And so we can move from place to place with greater ease than ever. So as an example, if a country makes a bad political decisions, let's say Congress votes in some ridiculous law, uh, the people who want to protest can simply leave. So if suddenly 200 million people over the next week move to a different country, that shifts the, the political systems, it shifts uh, lots of things about the way the systems are working and uh, kind of how innovation is working. And then as we're moving into the space age here, as we're going to contemplate colonizing other planets, suddenly 200 million people can move to another planet. Absolutely. Yeah, well, the, in, in that case, you've got governments, they're, they're kind of competing at that point, right, for your patronage, which would be a very different model from how it's worked up to this point. That would be, yeah. Yeah, I think that would be kind of nice. That, yeah, I think that would be a, a real interesting twist as to countries that feel that everybody's just their captive audience, their captive slaves, if you will. Certainly that's the way they think in North Korea. But if suddenly everybody can leave if they don't like you, that's another way of voting in a democracy by just leaving. So right. 
Well, when we go, when I look over this list, because we've actually covered your list of objections, the one thing that comes to my mind as I look at these is these are all manageable one way or another. But even if they're all pretty bad, and even if there's another list of eight other things just as bad, none of these sound like a good reason not to make people live longer. Would you agree? I, I would agree. People have an aversion to death. They would just as soon not die. Yeah, and there's arguments we can make against anti-aging technology uh, on the societal level, but it's it's hard to make an argument to the person who's getting older and, <laughs> and would, would prefer not to. On the individual level, it, it just doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I ran into a speaker uh, in another country, and they were talking about the video game culture today. In the video game culture, when, when somebody dies in a video game, you come back again, you have additional lives. And so... Right. Uh, Suicide suddenly becomes a strategy, and his argument was is that a lot of young people are being preconditioned to to consider suicide as an option in their life. So that was kind of an odd way of looking at it. But I oh, that's interesting because we we got a long way to go before that's reversible in real life, like it is in a video game, right? I mean, that's right. Although, once again, in, in Kari Doctoro's book, it does work that way. He could pretty much bounce right back after losing, losing a life. But, yeah, when people look at it that way, when, when you look at your mortality in a completely different way, it does open up just a whole different set of possibilities and options that we've hardly even scratched the surface of. But one of the things I like is if we, if we all agree that with these problems, it would probably still be worth doing. And that's just saying people living longer. There are also some benefits associated with living longer, and we'll explore those on our show tomorrow. So we're going to pick this back up, and we're going to talk about reasons for making people live longer that go above and beyond just kind of the obvious one, which is that nobody wants to die. So uh, great having you with us, Thomas. Look forward to talking with you again tomorrow. All righty. All right. Hey, thanks, Stephen. Thank you all for being with us, and until next time, live to see it. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free and Anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.